All right, welcome everyone. You're you're a part of this segment called The Dirty Secrets of the Financial Elite, which is a book that I wrote. And I'm going to share with you every week, twice a week, a chapter from that book. So you don't have to pay, you just listen and enjoy. And I'd love for as many people who had that opportunity because it's about achieving financial freedom in New Zealand as well as protecting you from yourself in the sense. We have psychological and cognitive biases that let us down from time to time. And I just want to give you control over that and more clarity on what you want from life. So hope you enjoy it. And uh, this is the chapter for the day. This podcast was proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.nzaudioeditors.com. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Chapter 11. Humanity's Psychological Quirks With this newfound knowledge, you may be a bit like me and wondering, why isn't everyone doing it? It's a question that has miffed me for some time. When I break this down logically to people, they find a reason not to believe it or start wondering, what's the catch? The reason people have this viewpoint is from all the horror stories we've seen or read. Some poor bastard has been taken advantage of or done something stupid. You, like me, probably look at some of these mistakes and wonder... How the hell did you think, even think that was a good idea? Then all of a sudden, you take the time to reflect and realize we all tend to do things that make no sense logically. But why is that? As the famous Chinese general Sun Tzu once said, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So let's start the knowing. Psychological quirk number one, price anchoring. It's exactly how it sounds. People get stuck on the price. Barry, look at the price of these shares. How good is that? Then lo and behold, he's a bit too slow to buy the bargain, so he's now become too skeptical to invest. The reality of this psychological bias is you're actually buying a business, not the price. The important aspect of the purchase is its value. This is the founding principle for some of the greatest investors of our time, Benjamin Graham and Warren Buffett. The fallacy we find ourselves caught up in is trying to perfect market timing and get that good price. I'm sure there's many a person who have managed good market timing at the very least should open a fortune telling business. You or I on the other hand need to think about what this investment means for our lifestyle slash goals and if it fits our filters. There's much more to this but the main thing to remember is we all crumble a little bit when we hear a juicy price. Psychological quirk number two. Finding form in the random. Your brain sucks up a tremendous amount of energy, so it's only right that it tries to cut corners. One of the things we do as humans is group things into patterns. An interesting experiment, for example, was when they had a group of people try to complete a task where the only way of knowing they were doing the right thing was when a red light flashed. Initially, they randomly pushed buttons, but over time started creating 
a strategy based on when the light would flash. The thing they weren't told was that the flashing of the light was completely random and that no matter what they did, the light would flash independently. Where that's important for you is when finance guys start thinking we've cracked the code, that we've found a pattern to predict future returns. Two things are wrong with that. One, there's no precedent for that being the case despite the many declarations. And two, if they solve that riddle, then eventually the market will use the strategy so then the special source is no longer special and becomes the norm. Psychological quirk number three, loss bold and return scared. Have you ever wondered why losers like to suggest double or nothing? For whatever reason in behavioral finance, they've found that if you're making a loss, then you're more likely to make a rash decision with higher risk to try to get out of this hole. The inverse is also true. If you've been getting a very low but reliable return, you are less likely to want to jump ship. Better the devil you know than the one you don't. Where you need to be cautious of this is when things are falling apart. Be aware that the decision to make the leap could take you to the very hole you are trying to jump out of. Psychological quirk number four. It won't happen to me. Have you ever had that feeling when you see a successful person demonstrating a task that deep down you think you could do better? It's a bizarre human fallacy where we overestimate our abilities or somehow feel it'll be different for us, like an ingrained over-optimism of sorts. Sure, we have insecurities and doubts, but on some level, in some way, you feel like it won't happen to me, because you know how to do it the right way. Finance is no different, to the point where similar investment strategies to yours are coming unstuck before your eyes, but you stick with it while further shrouding the truth and rationalizations. A master manipulator realizes this human bias and pivots the truth with sprinkles of positivity so your subconscious then latches onto it like Jack in the Titanic with a delusional hope of somehow escaping the dark truth reality. Then as the impending doom of your financial failure looms ever closer, your aversion to loss further inspires your need to take bigger and bigger risks in the hope that the big win will somehow turn the ship around. Sometimes the difference between success and failure is simply addressing the fact that you could be wrong. Psychological quirk number five, abundance versus scarcity. The founding framework of our financial system is centered on the idea that scarcity adds value, that a resource in limited supply is more valuable than one that is abundant. You may be thinking, cool, good to know, but why should I care? Well, you would have noticed that no matter how much you try bubble wrapping your kids or try hiding them from the harshness of the world, there's always finds a way into their life. So there are going to be events that not only shape the circumstances of your existence, but also shape the framing of your mind to the point where in that moment, you're no longer thinking clearly. Warren Buffett says it well, never make a decision in an emotion. For example, someone could break into your house, you may lose your job, you might even win lotto, and in those instances, you need to think, is this event influencing my thoughts into a viewpoint of scarcity uncharacteristically fearful decisions depending on a financial strategy because it provides familiarity and comfort in a changing world or are you impulsively investing from a mindset of abundance where you're putting yourself at risk in the long term so not only should you be aware of your tolerance to risk your life circumstances and your strategy but also your state of mind when you make your decisions nothing looks after your financial health better than a good night's sleep and the advice of an unbiased but credible individual Psychological quirk number six. Consistency is consistently consistent. You've probably been in a situation where you know you're right. You're making good points, but the other person just still won't fucking agree. The book How to Win Friends and Influence People says it well. 
In an argument, there is no right or wrong, just someone that feels wrong. This is a substantial psychological flaw in our psyche. We create a self-image of ourselves from the imaginings of a distant memory. That viewpoint looks for further evidence in the affirmative to solidify it into your mind, and then what you end up with is a rigid way of thinking not receptive to change. I'm not saying that you can't change someone's opinion, but what I am saying is that when an opinion is tied into a person's view of themselves, then they'll have to make a choice. Either resist the newfound information or admit that part of their life they've lived has been a lie. Now this is being a bit overdramatic, which is pretty standard in this book. But what I propose is that you go on a journey of self-discovery to test this theory, and I suspect you'll start to notice how we seek to reconfirm what we already know, and that most of people's ideas are tied into their ego. So just be aware that when you hold a strong viewpoint, that isn't necessarily rooted in reality, but instead could be crafted by the imaginings of your inner child. Psychological quirk number seven, the hive mind, the bystander effect. Ever wondered why we don't freak out during a fire drill or why there are so many instances where victims in need go unsaved? It's basically the blind leading the blind, collective ignorance. You look to their left, they look to your right, no one reacts. So they assume nothing's wrong. But in reality, you're relying on the ignorance of the group whose ignorance stems from your lack of knowledge. Mates rates. The people closest to you have the ability to cause you the greatest harm. Your guard is down and the consequence of disagreement is much higher. Sure, I'm like you and prefer advice from someone I know and trust. Unfortunately, people we know don't necessarily know, you know? So always be aware that although your loved ones mean well, meaning well doesn't mean right. Market Armageddon. This ties in with your mum's favourite saying. Would you jump off a bridge if everyone else did it? To which, if you were cheeky like me, you'd say, depends how deep the water is. The premise of this is that the masses love hysteria. When the market starts to dip, they start selling, which scares more people, and thus the plummet continues, which is the exact moment where your advisor turned mum convinces you not to jump. Now, this is the part where managed funds trump direct investments. With a direct investment into, say, one company's shares, the odds of that market plummet being a risk to your finances is much higher. But with a diversified managed fund, the odds of that plummet affecting all your investments negatively is much lower. So in this instance, withdrawing your portfolio is stupid, but selling your direct investment might be smart. Money is generally lost when they go bust or when you sell in fear, so check the water before you jump. Psychological quirk number 8. Santa's dirty little secret. This is the whole underlying concept behind the effectiveness of this book. When you give without expectation, others feel obliged to reciprocate. For an emerging entrepreneur that has concerns about the financial viability of running a company in a climate where consumers expect more for less, should live and breathe this concept. For you as a consumer, you should always be vigilant of your susceptibility to the psychological influence. For example, when someone unexpectedly gave you a thoughtful gift, did you feel this weird and compelling urge to do something for them in return? The reason I say weird is that you don't necessarily even need to like the person for it to work. Because feeling indebted to someone you don't like in some way feels that they may have one up on you. That they're better than you. Where this comes into finance or just consumer decisions in general is that when a company or an advisor does something for you at their own expense, just be aware that your progression to a mutually beneficial decision could have been swayed by your need to reciprocate. Psychological quirk number nine. Me, myself, and I. I had an interesting conversation with a zoologist I used to live with. 
She said, in biology, there's no one truly unselfish act, of which stirred up the hippie in me to the point where I gave hundreds of examples and why she's full of shit. But true to form, she found her way back to the idea that we're selfish. I'm not saying she's right, but she's right more than she's wrong, and I suggest you look at the finance world through the same filter. What is this person gaining from giving me this advice? Are their conclusions rooted in logic? That's all the police care about, evidence and motive. Right now, take a look at me. Why would I give you an ebook for free and how do you know it's good advice? Well, the first thing is, it's probably not good advice for you. Why? I don't know you. So how could I know what's best for you? Secondly, what do I get out of it? The plan is for you to think this Ryan bloke seems to know a lot about finance and also says a lot of awkward shit. So it must be pretty honest. So why not book an appointment with him? Best case scenario for me is that I help you as a client for life. That way, I can make money off you making money. You win, I win. Psychological quirk number 10. Greed. One of the most effective strategies in marketing and selling is creating a sense of urgency in your client. The feeling of, I don't know why, but I need it now. It's a very compromising view that we're all buying into, and it's this idea of getting rich quick. Blows my mind how many people in my line of business open with the statement, so what kind of returns can you give me? It's like walking into a fortune teller's tent and asking, so what is the exact date I'll die? Sure, we can estimate, we can guess, and we can sell the idea of you making a specific figure, but deep down we can't truly know the time frame exact return you'll get. So if you're sitting in the office of an advisor who's adamantly declaring the incredibly high returns you'll get through them, you better start questioning if they're the next messiah, a savant with unprecedented math skills, or someone just painting a pretty picture to make a sale. The other thing that I hope is now drilled into your psyche is the idea that higher returns likely mean greater risk. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. What truly matters isn't that you're the next Bill Gates drowning in your billions despite that being the consumeristic narrative that you've all been buying into, but instead the simplicity and freedom of being able to do the things you want to do when you want to do them. Psychological quirk number 11. Finally had more money. You know, the funny thing about humans is we don't really grasp the idea of constraint, delaying pleasure. There was an interesting study they did with kids and marshmallows. They simply said, don't eat the marshmallow in front of your face now, and later we'll give you two marshmallows. Well, naturally, a lot of the kids stuffed that soft goodness straight down their gullet, but strangely enough, some managed to wait and reap the rewards. The interesting thing about the study was that the kids that showed constraint actually ended up being much more successful in life. Now, as we know, successful people are the exception, not the rule. So the majority of us lack that ability to a degree. Where that creeps into your life is in the hope that things will change when you come into money or get that next pay rise. The reality instead is that you end up spending to your income. More money, more spending, similar saving. Particularly in New Zealand, where we are universally known as bad savers, hence the creation of KiwiSaver. Scary thing is, if you make a lot of money and you're a terrible saver, while retiring on a pension with that income now gone, it's going to hurt so much more. So it's worth thinking, should I change my habits now and enjoy the double dose of marshmallow goodness in retirement, or blindly hope that buying the marshmallow now won't double my hunger later? Psychological quirk number 12, that sinking feeling in your stomach when nobody invites you. It's the oldest selling trick in the book. If you don't make the most of our offer now, you'll miss out. Ouch. Are you saying this is my only chance to get it? The best I've seen it used is by retailers. It's almost comical. A person asks for clothes in their size, the clerk stumbles to the back of the store as though they might not have it, but lo and behold, they come back saying, I think this is the only one we have left. 
Said client leaves with their purchase and a big, happy grin feeling lucky. The clerk gets asked for the same size 10 minutes later and magically from their magic closet appears as another only one we have left. The same can be said for investing. You hear of this fantastic opportunity that if you don't invest in now, you might miss the boat. An excellent example of this is Bitcoin. The underlying driver is a nice thought. No middleman, fast international transactions, and the users create credibility. This is not to say that a lot of people didn't make a lot of money in Bitcoin, but the problem came when it reached the average Joe. A whole lot of people buying into something they didn't understand, driven by a fear of missing out. This is a time where you have to take a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and ask, what drove me to do this? Was it logical? Was it safe? Is it in my field of expertise? And will it help me to achieve my goals? Odds are you had to look away because deep down you know you just jumped onto the hysteria bus. Psychological quirk number 13. Homeostasis. I try to limit the big words in this book, but homeostasis is just too pretty a concept not to name. The idea of it stems from the building blocks of life, whose fundamental goal is to seek stability through equilibrium. For example, if a whole lot of chemicals are floating around in containment and you suddenly increase the pressure, as a general rule, the substance will seek to form bonds that take up less space. In other words, you make a change to the system and it will adapt to equalize that change. Also, the extremity of the response is relative to how drastic and sudden the change is. In real life terms, let's say you had an unfortunate upbringing of violence and abuse that at its core you knew was wrong, so you left home. Sadly, although you managed to escape, you've continued to find yourself in situations or relationships that are painful and not good for you. The scary thing about this is, although you know intellectually that you don't want it to happen, subconsciously you actually do. What I mean by this is your brain has associated love and affection with the bad way of which you were brought up. So even if you find yourself in a happy and fulfilling relationship, somehow you'll find a way to sabotage those good emotions or create drama to simulate your subconscious understanding of what you think a relationship should be. Chemically and psychologically, you're trying to maintain what you've always known because it's your learned version of safe. You can break out of the cycle, so don't be afraid to ask for professional help. But where this concept is relevant in investing is that the market's correction is often similar to its rated downturn. How bad it goes down is probably how good it goes up, provided it's sufficiently diversified. Also, the market always wins. Let's say old Barry down the road is killing the market with unprecedented returns year after year. He's smoking the competition. Then all of a sudden, Barry goes bust. Today's winner is tomorrow's loser. No matter what you know, when the market knows what you know, then effectively, you know nothing. Your skill has become the norm. So the next time you're not happy with the stasis of your life, it's worth wondering, am I just being a homeo?